Well, it's so good to see everybody and uh, see uh, see folks back with us that hadn't been here in a while. We're so thankful for uh, uh, for the ability, the the opportunity for us to gather together as community of Grace Church and to uh, to worship our Lord together. And this morning, our call to worship will come from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. Yes, ma'am. Jeremiah chapter 31. Later in the service, we're going to see where Peter talks about the promise to Israel, to their children, to those who are far off. And uh, part of that promise is included here in Jeremiah chapter 31, the promise of a, of a new covenant and uh, the restoration of Jerusalem and Judah as a, as a nucleus for the new people of God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah, in its cities, when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And they shall dwell in Judah itself, and all the cities together, farmers, and those who are going out with flocks, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, to afflict, So I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their people, and they shall be, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Let's pray together. Lord God, we meet together this morning in thanksgiving and praise. Lord, we offer you praise for who you are. Lord, we're thankful that you are that you are God, that you are creator, that you are master and sustainer of the universe. We give you praise because of your your mighty power and glory. And Lord, your sovereign purpose to create for yourself a people, to call to yourself a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people, every nation. Lord, to call to yourself your people. 
and to show them your glory. And Lord, we're thankful for the outworking of that plan, the outworking of, of that purpose in human history. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose from the dead. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that calls us and empowers us to repent and believe. And Lord, we thank you for your presence in the person of the Holy Spirit with us. And we thank you that your Spirit enables and empowers our hearts to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that as we meet together today, that your Spirit, you would work within us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Lord, that you would give us those hearts of flesh that are responsive to your truth and to your, and to your Word. And Lord, that we would live according to the law that you've written on our hearts, that your Spirit would empower us to live for your glory and for your sake. And we pray also that your Spirit would empower us today to worship you in spirit and truth to give you praise, to give you thanksgiving, to give you our trust, and to demonstrate our trust through the obedience of faith as your Spirit works in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnals and turn to hymn 130. As we continue to worship to the second chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Continuing to look at the very first Christian sermon, the sermon that Peter preached under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, recorded for us that first Christian sermon as Peter exposes the truth of the Scripture, explains what is explains the Scripture and applies it to what is happening around them. And uh, the conclusion to this great sermon ends with a promise, a promise, and uh, uh, a promise to all whom God will call. And we see the three groups in our text today uh, from which God will call His people to Himself, uh, call them to, uh, to experience the promise of the new covenant, of new life by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Acts chapter 2, I'll begin in the 36th verse, the conclusion of uh, the point, the proposition of Peter's sermon. And uh, we've seen how he built up to this point. And then the response, and then our, our text today will really focus on the last part of verse 38 and verse 39, looking at the promise and to whom that promise is made. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that you have sent to lead us into truth, the Spirit of truth that inspired the biblical authors to write these words and carry them along so that they wrote your very words, words breathed out by you. And so, Lord, we stand before your word recognizing its authority, its truthfulness, 
Because it is from you. It is your word, your words. And Lord, we stand before your word recognizing its value, that it is profitable to us. Lord, it's profitable to teach us what we must believe about you and ourselves. It's profitable to rebuke, to reprove, to, to tell us those things that we need to stop doing. And Lord, we're thankful that your word is profitable for correction and teaching us those things that we ought to do in the power of your spirit, those things that are pleasing in your sight and bring you honor and glory. Lord, write your law upon our hearts and enable us to walk in accordance with your statutes and testimonies. And Lord, we're thankful that your word is also sufficient so that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we thank you that your word can bring us comfort in days like this, Lord, that we can be comforted and encouraged by your sovereignty. Lord, we're thankful that your word can bring us strength to stand in the day of adversity. Lord, that your word can interpret for us the adversity, the difficulties that we experience. And so, Lord, we're thankful that your word is sufficient and complete. And Lord, we're thankful for your ministry, the ministry of your Spirit in our midst. We thank you for, um, for the healing that folks in our congregation have experienced. We're thankful for the, uh, for the treatments that folks are taking. And we pray that you would continue to, to, to use those treatments to bring health. Lord, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace and bringing us together as a people a community of grace, a community of faith. And Lord, we're thankful for the encouragement and comfort that we draw from each other and just from being together, being able to sing together and pray together and worship together. Lord, we're thankful for, for our family of faith and the, the love and the concern and the care that we feel one for, not, for, for one another. And Lord, we're thankful for Your call, that You've called us to Yourself, that You've called us together, You've called us to be Your people. And Lord, we pray that Your Spirit through Your Word would enable us and empower us to be faithful and that You would make us fruitful as we seek to be Your people in this place. May Your Word teach us this morning and may Your Spirit enable us to walk in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we have seen this sermon, and we have looked at the development of the sermon, how it uh, culminates in this proposition, in this call in verse 36, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, that word penetrated to the hearts of the people who heard. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we do? And Peter told them how they should respond. They should repent. And remember that word, repent. Is, is, is a two-phase word. It means a change of mind. It means turning away from sin and turning to Jesus in faith. It's a change of mind. And so it implies both repentance and faith, uh, turning from sin and turning to Christ. And then he calls them to demonstrate their faith through their obedience by identifying with Jesus and His, his life and identifying with the followers of Jesus by submitting to believers' baptism. And then... Peter mentions the promise when he tells them to, to, uh, to repent and be baptized. He gives a twofold promise. 
the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins, the taking away of sins, the being set free from sin, and the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the first Christian sermon ends with a promise. A twofold promise. If you turn from your sin and you call upon Jesus in faith, then you will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter concludes by, by saying this promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So I'd like for us to start today at the end of our text and take that, fr- that phrase, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so this promise is to those whom God will call to Himself. And we talked about the fact last week that Peter has issued a call to all that heard, to all that gathered. God had gathered a huge crowd uh, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with sights and sounds and the testimony of the believers. A crowd had gathered. And Peter preaches this sermon and issues the call to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Peter issues that call and 3,000 respond, but many of the people who are in that crowd do not respond. They do not come. They do not repent and believe. They do not demonstrate their faith in God through their uh, obedience and submission to believers' baptism. They don't identify with Jesus. They don't identify with the, the other believers through baptism. And what is the difference? The difference is there at the end of verse 39, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so Peter has made it clear that we have a responsibility. You know, he began with Joel's prophecy. And in these last days, in the Messianic age, Messiah has come. Jesus is that Messiah. And he says, quoting Joel, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have a duty and a responsibility and an obligation to call upon the name of the Lord. And then he concludes the sermon when the people say, what shall we do when they've been convicted of their sin? Repent. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ. Stop trusting in yourself and your religion your good works or your own wisdom or your own uh, abilities. Turn from that and put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, the One that God has made, Lord in Christ. Trust in Christ and identify with Him publicly and identify with the people of Christ. Show your faith in Him through your obedience by submitting to baptism. And so He issues that call. So we have a responsibility to repent. We have a responsibility to believe. We have a responsibility to call upon the name of the Lord. We have a responsibility to demonstrate our faith through our obedience. There's human responsibility. But this text also shows us clearly there is divine sovereignty. There is human responsibility and there is divine sovereignty. Who will call upon the name of the Lord? Who will repent? Who will believe? Who will identify with Jesus and His church? Those whom the Lord calls. We cannot come until the Lord calls. We have responsibility. We have obligation. But it is the call of the Lord that is effectual. It is the call of the Lord that enables us and empowers us to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It is the Lord's call that enables us to repent. It is the Lord's call that enables us to believe. It is the Lord's call that enables us 
to fulfill our obligations and our responsibilities. And so in our salvation, there is human responsibility, but there is divine sovereignty. Only those whom the Lord calls will come. All the people gathered heard the same sermon. They all heard the same call. They all heard the same charge. But only those who were called by the Lord would come. Only those who were called by the Lord could come. Jesus said, no one can come to Me unless My Father draw them. And so we see the divine sovereignty in in salvation. And you know, that is just about grace. That, That just shows us grace. God calls whom He will. Apart from anything in us, anything that is good, anything that might be desirable, anything that we might do, anything about us. No, it is a gift of God's sovereign grace. He calls by His good pleasure. And not anything, not any goodness, not any ability, not any education, not anything other than His kindness and His grace in Christ Jesus. It is an act of sovereign grace. And God sends His Holy Spirit to awaken those who are dead in trespasses and sins so they might hear the call and that the Word might penetrate to their hearts and that they might be made alive. And given the ability, the Spirit works within us to will and to do according to God's good pleasure. God creates in us life. And He creates in us a desire for Him. He creates in us a love for Him. He creates in in us an acknowledgement of our need for Him. Conviction of sin and conversion so that we might be empowered to call upon the name of the Lord. Only those who God calls will call upon the name of the Lord. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in this text, we see God's sovereignty. And people sitting in the same church, hearing the same sermon, hearing the same call, they don't all respond. Only those who are called by the Lord will respond in repentance and faith and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And so we see very clearly God's sovereignty. The promise, the promise is to those whom God calls. The promise is to as many as God will call. Well, what's the promise? The promise is to those that God will call. What's the promise? Well, Peter's given it to us in verse 38, the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, 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 he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And then He gives the promise for the remission of sin and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far off. And so what's the promise? Well, it's twofold. Number one, the forgiveness of sins. God, who is righteous, can forgive sins and still be righteous because of His Son Jesus. God sent His Son Jesus who lived a perfectly righteous life, who committed no sin, tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He satisfied the law. He submitted Himself to the Father, even unto death, even death on the cross. Jesus was completely and totally righteous, totally obedient, but He died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against the sins of everyone whom He will call. 
He satisfied the sins of every one of His people, past, present, and future. Jesus died on the cross and satisfied God's wrath. And so God can forgive sins and still be just because Jesus took the justice, the punishment that we deserve. And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we might be forgiven by the Father. And the resurrection, His resurrection from the dead proves that sacrifice was accepted. And so what's the promise? The promise is forgiveness of sins, remission of sins, being set free from sin's penalty. God promises that those He calls and those who call upon Him will have their sins forgiven. They will be washed white as snow cleansed from all unrighteousness. He will remember their sins no more and He will remove their sins as far as the east is from the west. There's the promise of forgiveness of sins. Those God calls to Himself and empowers to call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved from sin's penalty. The first part of that promise is forgiveness of sins. The second part of the promise, and we talked about this in detail last week, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit does so many things to to God's people. Uh, But uh, uh, the promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that comes and is the instrument through which God changes our will and works within us to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're not only set free from sin's penalty, but we're set free from sin's power. And we're enabled and empowered to do that which is pleasing in God's sight. To call upon Him. To love Him. To walk in the obedience of faith. The Holy Spirit changes our minds. It changes our hearts. It changes our will. And He gives us the ability to do that which is pleasing in God's sight. So the promise is forgiveness of sin set free from sin's penalty and its power over sin in the person of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to do that which is according to God's good pleasure in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so the promises to all those who God will call, the promises for forgiveness of sins and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter gives us three groups of people from whom God will call. He's given the promise. The promise is the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, a relationship with the third person of the Trinity as He comes and indwells you. That's the promise. And this promise is to three groups of people from whom God will call His people. This promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off. And so God will call His people from these three groups of people. You, your children, and those who are afar off. Now, not everyone in those three groups will be saved. Only as many as the Lord our God will call. But He will call from three groups. And if we remember the setting, first, the first group of people from which He will call His people is you. And He's speaking to those that have gathered together that day. And we've studied this, so we've looked at the audience. Remember that this is the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover, and on this particular Passover, fifty days after Jesus died on the cross for the sins of His people. Fifty days after the Passover, people 
And, and, and the audience is there for us in chapter 2, verse 5. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so this is a Jewish audience. Those who live in Jerusalem, those who live within 20 miles of Jerusalem, who traveled there for the mandatory feast, and those who were Jewish but had been dispersed to every nation under heaven. They fulfilled their dream. They, they checked off one item on their bucket list. They traveled to Jerusalem for, the, for the, the feast of the Pentecost. And they were there that day. But they were Jewish, devout Jews, observant Jews. Even though they had moved to other places, learned other languages, been raised in other cultures, they were still devout, practicing Jews, and had traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And so that's the group. These are literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and most of them Judah. The covenant people of God. God's chosen people, the people through whom He promised to bring the Christ, to bring the Messiah, and to bring a blessing to all people. All of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And these are the people through whom the promised Messiah would come. And Peter stands and said, this promise is to you. Now remember, many of those people that were gathered that particular day were in another crowd 50 days before. Those people who lived in Jerusalem, who were dwelling in Jerusalem, or were nearby, the, the, the same people who would come to Jerusalem from 20 miles away for the Feast of Pentecost would also come to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. And so there are many in that crowd hearing Peter that were in another crowd 50 days before. A crowd that stood before Pilate and said, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! A crowd that stood before Pilate and when Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? They said, We have no king but Caesar. The same crowd that demanded that Barabbas a murderer, a robber who had committed murder in an act of terrorism and an insurrection be released to them and Jesus crucified. Many of the people who heard Peter were in that same crowd before Pilate. They had been stirred up by their religious leaders to demand the death of Jesus. And that's why Peter has said in his sermon, you have taken by lawless hands, you crucified Him, and you put Him to death. And now Peter says, this promise of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is to you. You who took Jesus by lawless hands, fastened Him to a cross, and put Him to death. If you turn, if you turn, if you repent, and you believe in Jesus, and you show your faith through your identification with Jesus and His people, this promise is for you. It doesn't matter how wicked, how evil, how sinful, how rebellious, 
if God calls and you turn from your sin and you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone and you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And your sins, though they be like scarlet, will be white as snow. Your sins will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And God will remember them against you no more. Because Jesus satisfied God's wrath for all who believe, even you. This promise is for you. These Jewish people, people of Jewish descent, people who had rejected their Messiah, if they repent and believe, this promise is for them. They will be forgiven and they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will take their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God will write His law upon their heart and enable them to walk according to His statutes and His testimonies. This promise is for you. Not only that, not only is God going to call people from that crowd, and we see at the end of this text, or in next week's text, He calls 3,000 of them. This promise is for you. But not only that, this promise is to your children. It's not just to those who have gathered together today, but it's for all your descendants. All of your children. If your children turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, if your children are called by God and call upon the name of the Lord, they too shall be saved. And again, this is probably pretty significant for these people gathered together to hear as they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because while they were in that crowd, while they were in that mob in front of Pilate, Pilate was doing everything he could to try to release Jesus. Pilate examined him and found that he'd done nothing wrong. Pilate had been warned by his own wife who had suffered many things in a dream because of this man. Pilate was doing everything in his power to let Jesus go, to release him. He believed with all of his heart that it was just by jealousy, because of jealousy that the leaders had handed Jesus over to him. And so if the leaders were jealous, he must be very popular with the crowd. So Pilate was trying to appeal to the crowd. And yet the crowd just got this mob mentality. They'd been manipulated and stirred up by their leaders that they were standing there shouting, shouting for blood and crying out that Jesus be crucified. And Pilate was doing everything he could to, to try to convince the crowd to release him. Offering uh, you know, a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, the, 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 the murderer, the robber who had committed murder and an act of terrorism and an insurrection. And to his surprise, to his absolute amazement, they demanded that Barabbas be released. And he said, well, what should I do with Jesus? Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar! And Pilate, he really had nothing to lose in the death of Jesus, but he had a lot to lose if the crowd uh, turned against him. Pilate asked for water to be brought. Only Matthew records this event and Pilate begins to wash his hands. He said, you see to it that I am innocent of this man's blood. 
And you know what the people in the crowd said? May His blood be on us and our children. May His blood be on us and our children. They had every intent of their heart of teaching their children that Jesus was worthy of death, of passing on their rebellion and the rejection of Jesus to their children. They pronounced a curse on their own children. They believed that Jesus really should be put to death because nobody wants to put the blood of an innocent man on their children. No one wants their children to be accused of the murder of an innocent person. And yet these people said, may His blood, the blood of Jesus, be on us and our children. And so you see the significance of what Peter says. This promise is to you and your children. This promise is to you and your children. You pronounced a curse on your children. You were intent on passing down your rebellion and rejection of the Messiah to your children. But if your children, if your children are called by the Lord, and in being called by the Lord, granted repentance and faith, and they call upon the name of the Lord, even your children whom you pronounced a curse will be forgiven of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is it to you and your children, your descendants. Not just those gathered together on the day of Pentecost, but all through the generations who hear the Gospel call and are called by Christ. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to make them alive. And they turn from their sin and they put their trust in Jesus Christ and they call upon Him. Even your children will be saved. All of them whom God will call will be saved, and God will not lose one of them. And so Peter says, the promise is to all whom God will call. And God's going to call people out of three different groups. You that are gathered together today, your descendants, and what would be true about all those descendants if their parents were Jews? They too would be Jews. The nucleus of the new people of God would be Old people of God, Israel. But that's not the only two groups from which God will call His people. The promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are afar off. God will call people from every tongue, every tribe, every ethnicity, and every nation into the people of God. God had called His people. He had called Abraham and He promised Abraham that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. Father of many nations. He repeated that promise to Isaac. He repeated that promise to, to Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. And He promised that through Abraham's seed, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, through David, through Christ, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. God called Israel to Himself. And He redeemed them from their slavery in Egypt. 
He brought them to Mount Sinai where He gave them the book of the covenant. He said, I will be your God and you will be My people. He drew near to them and called them to Himself and took them into the promised land. And He drew near to them by choosing Jerusalem as a place for His name where the temple would be built and He would dwell there in the midst of His people. And through His promises to Abraham and to David, you will have a son, a descendant that will sit on the throne forever. And He will rule over all nations. This promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And this promise is to all who are far off. Yes, the Israel would be the nucleus for the new people of God. But Jesus, the King of heaven, came from heaven to earth to call people from every kingdom of the earth into the kingdom of God. This promise is even to those who are far off. Those who are outside of Israel. Those who are separated from the temple by walls and by fences and by rivers and by oceans and by continents. Those who are far off, those who are outside of the law, who have the, who, who do not have the law, for the the pagans, the heathens, the nations. God will call for Himself a people from all nations, even those. This promise is even for those who are far off, who have never had the law, who had no regard for the law, who, who thought nothing of God, or who worshipped false gods. From those people, from that great ocean of people, God will call. And all that God calls will receive forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All that God calls that turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus, regardless of their background, regardless of their nation, regardless of their ethnicity, called together into one people of God. God had promised to bless all nations of the earth through Abraham. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. God had promised Adam and Eve that He would send one from the seed of woman that would be bruised by Satan but would crush his head. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. God promised David that He would raise up, raise up a descendant that would sit on His throne forever and ever. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And the promise of forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. In Jesus, the promise God gave to Jeremiah and Ezekiel that He would take the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that He would cleanse their sins and make them, make them new, that He would write His law upon their heart and then enable them, empower them to walk in accordance with His statutes and His testimonies. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. The promise. So those who are there on the day of Pentecost, to their descendants, and even those who are far off. And you know what? That means the promises to us. As far as I know, none of us are descendants of Judah or Jacob or Isaac or, or Abraham. We were far off. And yet this promise, all that God will call from the nations, all that God will call from those who are far off. 
They will be granted repentance and faith. They will call upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved and receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off. And so in this passage, we see God's amazing sovereign grace. He calls people not because of who they are, not because of their ethnicity, not because of any goodness within them. In fact, He calls the most despicable of sinners. He calls them to Himself. Gives them new life. Empowers them, convicts them of sin, brings them to repentance and faith. And empowers them to call upon the name of the Lord and then energizes them through the person of the Holy Spirit to walk the obedience of faith and to identify with Jesus and with His covenant people, His new covenant people. This passage is all about God's grace. He calls whom He will. Not because of anything within those He calls, but simply because of His kindness and His grace and His purpose in Christ Jesus. So the first question we have to ask ourselves is have you turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Have you been called by God and have you called upon the Lord? Have you been saved? Ask the Lord to call. To sovereignly call you. Cry out to God for mercy and grace. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. His promises to you. His promises to our children, you know, and most of us are parents of adult children. And we have a duty and responsibility to pray for our children, to recognize that we can't call them to the Lord. That call comes from the Lord, but we have an obligation to, 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 to provide godly counsel and godly wisdom and shepherding to our, even our adult children and our grandchildren, recognizing that it's God's sovereignty that calls them. We have a, a duty and responsibility to, to issue the external call but knowing that only God can call and to cry out to God for our children and our grandchildren. And this promises to those who are afar off. And we're afar off. And you know what? God sent His disciples, His apostles. He told them to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He sent His disciples to make disciples of all nations. And, and, and through the centuries, through the millennia, people were obedient to that call. And someone came and told you. And God used that external call in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to bring you to repentance and faith, to call you to Himself. And we all have a duty and an obligation to go and issue that external call, trusting in God's effectual call. Are you faithful in going to others and speaking God's truth? Issuing that call to repent and believe, but ultimately trusting that that promise is to whomever God will call. 
trusting in God's sovereignty, but being obedient to what He's called us to do. And I think there's a final application to this text. You, your children, those that are far off, one church. Those who were near, those who were far off, God calls them together into one church. And He tears down the wall of separation. And those people from every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every nation come together in one church, one people of God. The new covenant people of God in one church. There should not be a Jewish church and a Gentile church. God tears down that wall of separation. There should not be a white church and a black church. There should not be a rich church and a poor church. There should not be an old church and a young church. There should not be a motorcycle church and a cowboy church. There should be one people of God. Because God tears down the wall of separation. Promises to those who are near and those who are far off. God tears down those walls and calls His people to one body of Christ. United by one faith, one Spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one church. From every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far off, whomever.